Good morning, everybody. Hi, Brad. I think back to the first time when uh, we visited at Fourth Avenue for the first, very first time, and we parked out in the parking lot, and uh, we had, uh, as we're walking up the steps, there's always a little bit of a, of a trepidation the first time that you attend a new place to worship. And you always hope that you're, that you're greeted well and you're greeted in a friendly manner. And the first person that we met at Fourth Avenue Church of Christ was Brad Schrager. I'll never forget that. He's, you're a good man, Brad Schrager. Good brother. You know, there's a time for everything. And uh, in Ecclesiastes 3, it, it talks about there's a time to, to mourn, a time to grieve, a time to live, time to die. And a season for every activity under heaven. There's time for worship and for gratitude, for teaching, for warnings. And sometimes there's time for confession. What we do here as worship, this is not church. This is not church. Church is what's left after the building burns down and the preacher moves away. You are church. What we do here is we worship. But it's encompassed in all these things, worship, gratitude, teaching, evangelism, and confession. We do all those things during our service. And I think it's important. I, I have a, a, something I'd like to confess. And this has been bothering me for about a month in a, in a very significant way. We had a young man who attended here for a number of years named Michael E. Wilson, and everybody called him Sanchez. Sanchez was born with spina bifida. He was cognitively challenged. And so many of you spent significant time going to visit Sanchez and spending time with him. We talked with him here, and we went and saw him when he was in the hospital. When he, they, he was removed from his home, even though he's 25 years old, and he was sent to a nursing home. And so many of you went to visit him and took him McDonald's, which he loved. And uh, Sanchez was, was like the rest of us. He, was, he wasn't perfect, but he was a little child in a lot of ways. Long story short, the state saw fit to move him to another facility. And he'd been down at Columbia Healthcare uh, or uh, NHC in Columbia, I should say. And they moved him to another facility. And when they did, they wouldn't tell us where they took him. And I'm, and I'm sure many of you found out where he was. And I asked, but I didn't ask hard enough. And I lost track of Sanchez. I'm haunted by that. I think of the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, verses 10 through 14. It says, when a sheep wanders off, what do you do? You leave the others and you go find them. And I could have tried harder, and I think I, I know I could have found Sanchez, but I didn't. 
I've asked God's forgiveness for that. And I'm sure Sanchez would forgive me as well. I chose not to go to his funeral, but I went to the, the, his body was on display on a Friday. And I was there for a while, pretty good while. And I was the only person there. And I lost my sheep. While I'm forgiven for that, I want to assure you that it's a lesson that I will never forget again. I will never forget that lesson. We've got to go get our sheep. We can't lose our sheep. And our message today is about family. And when we talk about family, and, and we are a family, and we're so grateful for, you know, our family is divided today. Some of our family is at camp. Some of our, our family is visiting with us online. They're worshiping online. Other people are on vacation, and we get scattered. But we're still family. We're still family. And by the way, the connotation of family is, we sometimes think of the Waltons. And guess what? There's no family like the Waltons. If, if you say, I've, you know, I used to say I was part of a dysfunctional family, and I am. But if you say you're part of a dysfunctional family, you're being redundant because they're all dysfunctional. <laughs> We're all dysfunctional. Um, and as, as I talk about family today, the thing, that I, the, the thing that I brought to you in confession, I'm going to have to ask you to look beyond the messenger and listen to the message. Because this is important. It may be the most important thing that we do. We are family. Now, how can we be family? This is a large body, even today with, with many of us going on. This is a large group of people. And I'm going to, just out of show of hands, how many of you by show of hands really don't know who I am or know me? Yeah, see, a significant number of people. How can that be? Well, we're, we're a big group of people. Uh, I was going to ask how many of you know me and wish you didn't, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So how, how can we really be a family? Well, we are, and we are dysfunctional, and we are broken. We're a collection of broken people, and that's why we need God. That's why we need each other. That's why he established family for us, so that we don't have to do this journey together. In March of 1692, March 24th to be specific, there was a woman named Rebecca Towns Nurse who was taken before a court, a church-sanctioned court, I might add, in Salem, Massachusetts, during a summer of horror. Life in colonial America was hard beyond description. We were not yet the United States. And the English were at war with the French. And the French continually sent raiding parties out of France, and they slaughtered villages and, and kidnapped children and women and carried them north. There was a Native American population that had been displaced that was still present, and they would come and, and execute raiding parties. Everybody was aware of the sense of evil that pervades this world. And Rebecca Nurse, who was a 71-year-old invalid, 
was accused of being a witch during that summer of horror. And on March 24th of 1692, she said, I can say before, and she was a pillar of the community, was loved by everybody. But she said, I can say before the Eternal Father, I'm innocent, and God will clear my innocency. Rebecca Nurse was my eighth great-grandmother. This past spring, uh, Melanie and I went to, to Boston for a funeral of a dear friend. And I had never been to Salem. I, I do family history stuff, but I had never been to Salem. And we decided we'd go. We had a day. We had, a, we'd take, we had taken a late flight uh, to come home. And we went up there and we saw her house. We couldn't tour it because it was off-season. But we saw the house that she lived. We, I know the history of, what, of everything that happened. I've read books on it. And I, and I know the things that happened. And we went to the, the Salem Witch Trial Memorial, which is not where she's buried. She was buried in a shallow grave, probably a foot deep on Gallows Hill. Her son Benjamin, under the cover of darkness and under a full moon, paddled down a creek, dug her up, took her back to the home place, and she's buried there in a secret spot because people were not allowed, afforded a Christian burial if they were condemned of witchcraft. Because she was hung on July 12th of 1692 with other people. Now, once again, I, I do family history stuff. I have for years just because I'm interested in it, just for more for pleasure than anything. It's a hobby. And part of that, I, I, I know more about DNA than a lot of people do. And when you take a look at DNA, it's, it's really interesting to study DNA. And uh, some of you may know that I found a, a long-lost niece three years ago as a result of DNA. And it's just it's fascinating stuff. But when you really look at the, the DNA and you say, is she my family? If you take a look at it, Grandma Rebecca is part of my family, but we share nine one-hundredths of one percent DNA. Does that really make you family? The answer is yes. She never, in, in a survivalist mode, in a subsistence agricultural economy, she never envisioned, she probably never thought about what will come eight, ten generations from now. But she was my grandmother. And as I sat there on, on the memorial, it was oddly emotional. But she is a part of my family. She is a part of my story. She is blood. And this church has a lot of families in it that are related by blood. But I'm going to suggest to you that while blood is thicker than water, love is thicker than blood. Love is thicker than blood. And we love one another. And that's part of what makes us family. In Ephesians, uh, the letter to Ephesians, Paul wrote, Now you who are not Jewish are not foreigners or strangers any longer. 
but are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. You are a child of God. You're a child of God, every single one of us. Here in camp, online, on vacation, wherever, you are a child of God. Family is what we do here. We listen to one another. We care for one another. And, and to a great extent, this is a homecoming today. Vicki, welcome home. Welcome home. And by the way, if you haven't seen her yet, and I'm being serious about this, she still has pain. If you hug her, hug her gently. Joe Norman has been hospitalized the last couple weeks. Welcome home, brother. It's good to have you back. And every Sunday, this is a homecoming, isn't it? We all come home. Some of us have come home today. Because this is our family. I wasn't raised here. I'm not from here. Uh, We've attended here for about nine years, a little less than nine years. But this has become our family. And our children are a big part of that family. It's a huge part. In fact, the entire family, at some level, we're all children. And there's a gift of children. Children are a gift to us. Whether the children are biologically related to us or they're, they're children of friends or, or people that we worship with or some, for some of us, we've become families of adoption. The enjoyment and privilege of serving God by being involved in the lives of the children is evident in Matthew 19, where Jesus said, bring the children to me. Bring the children to me. He, wasn't, he was the God of the universe. He created the heaven and the, the moons, the stars, the sun, he, all of us. He created everything in the universe, but the children are his. We are his children. And, and because blood is thicker than water, but love is thicker than blood, even if you have children and we're not related by blood, I still have a responsibility for them. When we baptize children, we talk about this being done in, in the, the, the presence of the great cloud of witnesses that is described in Hebrew 12. We're family. We are family. We can never forget at the end of the day that we're family. Dysfunctional though we may be, though we may not like one another, You may have some family members as well that you don't necessarily like, but they're still family and you still love them. So how do we do do all that? Well, at the end of the day, when when the children are dismissed for Sunday, if, if they're not your kids and they're going downstairs for children's church, don't ignore them. Turn around, smile at them, wave at them, speak to them. They belong to all of us. And by the way, parents... I think it's a really important thing for us to discuss the fact that they're not even your children. They're given to us for a short while. My youngest child is 43, and I still have a responsibility as a father, as a parent, and I still speak up occasionally. I don't nag as much as I used to, but I still get in a word every so often, and I might be wrong, but I'm never in doubt.
But speak to these children. Pay attention to them. Volunteer. When they call for volunteers downstairs, go do whatever. Get to know these children. Show them that they are part of the family. And when we talk about part of the, about the family, uh, I, I know so many of them are gone today because of camp. But if you've ever, ever been involved in the children's ministry in any way, shape, form, and fashion, as a teacher, as a program leader, as a volunteer, would you stand real quick, please? Stand and be respected and be honored. This is our family. You're taking care of the children. And I'm so grateful for all of you because there are other people. Please, please be seated. But I went to a virtual celebration of life a year ago for Bernadette Wilson, who taught my children. Being a child, you know, we think back to the, you know, we think back to our childhood. I know, Albert, we've talked about childhood, and we think about so many good things. But we forget the bad stuff. That's why we go to high school reunions. We forgot all the bad stuff. We just remember the good stuff. But children are given to us for a very short period of time. And, and when you read the, the 127th Psalm, verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a gift given to us. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those children, and the Lord has given us that responsibility. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And that's not just our biological children. There's nothing that makes my day anymore when my kids' friends from 20, 30 years ago, they still call me when they have problems, when they have celebrations. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. This is one of my, the arrows in my quiver. This is my grandson. As I mentioned, we have become a family of adoption. And this is the day that he went home from the hospital with my daughter and son-in-law. And he is my boy. Everybody knows that I am his person. And even at the times where things aren't always going, you know, we have these, these cute little babies and everybody's ooing and on. It's just so sweet. And even in the early phases, they'll be crying. Their mothers will be holding them. And the mothers still love the fact that they're crying because they got them all dressed up for Easter or whatever. And it's just, it's all so sweet. And and I have to resist the urge to tell them during those moments that there will be hard times. They're so sweet. But they will suffer. And there will be hard times. And then, you know, we get them started early. We, we start creating bad habits early. The, the fact of the matter is, we wonder why kids run around with phones in their hands all the time. And we started FaceTiming with this one. He was about two weeks old. And he was one year old, and my daughter's taking a video of him. He's saying, let Bobby hold it. Let Bobby hold it. We can't get it out of his hands now. 
And we take endless pictures. For those of you that don't remember, and I know the young people really are here today, but those of you that don't remember, when we used to take pictures, we had something we had to put in a camera. It was called film. And we didn't take as many pictures then as we did now because you had to pay for the film. And then you had to have it, pay to have it developed. And we took it and we put it, in, instead of having stuff on my phone or on my devices, we had photo albums. We've got Tupperware containers stacked up this high. photo albums in the attic. It's crazy. We, but now we take endless pictures. And, sometimes, and, and Gary Schrader understands this because Gary's a photographer. He might have to take 100 really good pictures or 100 pictures to get one really good one. And every so often when you're taking pictures of grandkids, <laughs> you get a gem. He always had tummy problems. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed your breakfast. And he was adopted, but about a year and a half later, there was a little bit of a family surprise because his mother was expecting a baby sister. And you probably can't tell from that picture, I know it's a long way away, but you can tell by the look on his face, he's not sure about all this stuff yet. Who is this new creature that's come in that's taking part of mommy's time? But he finally figured out the big brother thing was pretty good. It was, it was a lot of fun. And this is what we want for our families, isn't it? To see that love between siblings. Isn't that what we want from one another? To see love from one another here in this building. And as we went on, as these children grow older, there are other things that start to happen. Grandson Cameron was baptized. Uh, grandson Cale was baptized here by my son by his father. These are, these are such good times. And then, not too long ago, I had the privilege of baptizing my granddaughter. And these are our stories. This is all part of our story. Just like Grandma Rebecca is part of my story in some way. And, and we have memories of our, hopefully have good memories of our grandparents and aunts and uncles and the times that came before. And some of us don't have some really good memories, just to be frank. But that's, why we, that's part of why we come here, because we're family. We can create good memories here. And do you know that the one thing, the one thing that you take to heaven with you is your memories? The scriptures tell us that. That's the one thing that will go. And because there's no pain, there's no sorrow, we won't remember those parts, but our memories go to heaven. And we're creating memories here as a church family. But children come with responsibilities. And when we start talking about training up children in Proverbs 22, what, what are some of the things that we need to train them to do? First of all, what are we supposed to do? Love them. First and foremost and always, love them. Show them love. Teach them to love themselves. Teach them and show them how to love others. Secondly, and this is a warning, don't put your children on a pedestal. Don't make them your idols. I'm a grandparent. I know. That's not easy. But we can't. Third, read the Bible to them and with them often and teach them to pray. Let's talk about love. 
Without love, we are nothing. What is love? First Corinthians uh, 13, it says that love is patient, it's kind, it hopes, it never ends. Please reread that scripture periodically, especially when your children are testing you. It never ends. We never run out of love. So these three things continue forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I had extremely high expectations of my children, and I wish I'd had even higher expectations, but I wish I would have smiled more. I wish I would have loved on them more. Secondly, we have a challenge, there's a huge challenge, and our, our country changed radically during the last century due to the Industrial Revolution, the First World War, Second World War. And the people that, that stood up for us, that were even willing to die for us, came back from the Second World War and they said, we never want our children to have to suffer. We never want it to be like this for them. And I understand that. But they're going to suffer. Life will be hard. The greatest generation spoiled us. And here's a warning. Don't put your children on pedestals. Don't make them your idols. Teach them life will be hard. Allow them to see that life will be hard. Challenge them. Discipline them. Don't become codependent. For those of you not familiar with codependency, codependency is you do something for somebody else and it's done under the guise of doing it for them and you want to do it for them, but you're really doing it for yourself to make yourself feel good. Don't be codependent with your children. It's one of the worst things we can do. And don't accept and excuse sin, but never, ever stop loving them. Never stop loving them. Read the Bible to them. Give them a reason to read the Bible. When you see something that the Bible speaks about that can give them a life lesson, read the Bible. Show them where it is in the Bible and teach them to read the Bible. Make it a routine and be realistic. We're not going to turn them into Hebrew scholars at age six, I hope. But when you read it to them, ask them questions. Get them involved and have them read it to you. It's so wonderful. And ask the Holy Spirit for guidance to discern what you are teaching them and to know what to teach them, in particular, what's the right thing at that time. The next thing is praying with them. Teach them to pray. pray teach them to pray that morning, noon, and night. Teach them to pray with others and for others. And you know what? If you want to see grown people cry, these prayer cards that you have in front of you, if you sat in the prayer rooms on Wednesday night and you heard the cards that were written by children, you would see a lot of grown people cry. Teach them to pray and to pray for others and to put those prayers down and to do that in an organized fashion. Have them fill out those prayer cards. What else do you teach them to pray? I'm going to suggest teach them to pray out of the Old Testament, teach them to pray out of the New Testament. Have them pray the Shema. Teach them the Shema. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's a great place to start. There's so many things that we can teach them to pray out of the Scriptures. Teach them in the New Testament. 
Teach them to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Teach them what this means. And eventually, as you teach, as you read to them, as you, as you pray with them and you teach them to pray, they will start to pray themselves. Put your hands together. And say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, say my soul to keep. My soul to keep. May God guard me through the night and wake me with the morning light. Amen. It's a six-syllable word if you're not Southern. In Matthew, 18th chapter, then he said, I tell you the truth, you must change and become like little children, otherwise you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The greatest person in the kingdom of heaven is the one who makes himself humble like a child. Now, I didn't say be childish. As if I've never done that. But we need to become as little children. Dr. James Culp was a twin. He was born in Bryansburg, Kentucky. He served in World War II. He was a twin. He and his twin brother both landed at Omaha Beach. One arrived there on D-Day, one James arrived there a couple days later. And they were very different as twins go. One worked in a factory and was rough. He was an Esau, if you would. The other James became a noted literary scholar, professor of English, got his Ph.D. at Vanderbilt, was head of the Department of English at Abilene Christian and Texas Tech. At both major universities, he was named Professor of the Year. And I love to go sit. That was Melanie's uncle. I, I love to go sit and listen to Uncle James and hear him talk about poetry and, and literature and how this was important. But what was, in, what was interesting to me is, is George... Uh, as George aged, George had health problems and physical problems, but George kept his mind. Uncle James, he was the professor. He developed dementia. And I remember the last time I saw him, we went to visit him in a nursing home. And he laid there and he couldn't talk to us, but he was just such a sweet soul. And he just smiled at us. And it struck me that don't we become as little children before we go to heaven? And Uncle James did. He was like a little child. He was totally helpless. We leave this life, we take nothing with us but our memories. But we must become as little children. We must have the humility that is required to be like a little child. And what I would suggest that we do is that you will never become so old that you are not a child, Sue. I feel cheated, Ron and Sue Brinker, that I haven't known you for more in my life, but I'm so grateful for the time that I have. You're wonderful people. We love you. But we're still, but, but don't ever quit being a little child. We're a little child. As a child, remember to never stop growing in the Lord. Part of growing in the Lord, like Jacob wrestled with the angel. Continue to grow in the Lord. Seek His favor. Seek His will in all that you do. And here's one thing I'm going to ask you not to do. Do not, as you get older, read your Bible. Study it. 
Anybody that tells you that they've got all the answers is either ignorant or they'll lie to you about other things. We never stop learning. Even as an older person, as somebody in my late 60s, I have my adults that I go to that help me and become as a little child. As we wrap up, I, we had a funeral here of a few weeks ago for Mr. Jimmy Gentry. And as I told people about that service, one thing that I told people, I said, Mr. Jimmy was 96 years old. There were hundreds of people at his funeral. How many 96-year-olds have hundreds of people at their funeral? That doesn't happen. It's because he had a life that was well-lived. And I'm, I'm going to close with this. Though, though devils, excuse me, today's young people don't recognize their enemies. Too much television, the wrong kind of movies, drugs, too many pressures, and having it too easy. We want our children to have everything, and we, don't, and we don't want to give them enough responsibility in return. I didn't have it that way. I didn't have very much when I was growing up, but I had all I needed. And as part of this family, we'll have all we need. In a mighty fortress is our God, Martin Luther wrote the third verse, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can't endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him, and that word is Jesus. Be a child. God knows life is hard. He created us in and for the community, this community, this family, to help us lighten the load. Enjoy the sweetness of life and do it together. Then go tell the story. Go after the lost sheep. Be the child that God created and loves deeply. I'm going to ask Keith and, and Alan to just come down. We don't do this real often. But if you have a prayer now, if you need somebody to pray with you, or, and Albert as well, come down and pray with them. If you're looking for a church home, a very dysfunctional but very loving family that will take you in and look after you, come talk to them. Come, talk, come have a word with us. If you've never been baptized and you feel so led, everything is prepared, the time is ready, if it's ready for you. We're so grateful that you're here today. And as you leave here today, I hope to hear the laughter of little children. And I hope you see you go out into the world, make more disciples of Christ, and bring them here to be a part of this family.